0: Well, good morning and welcome to Eastlake Online. We are so glad that you are here, or not really here. We are filming this uh, live on, at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning here in the Uptown Theater, mostly empty Uptown Theater, uh, just like we have for the last 15 weeks. 15 weeks we've been doing this, and you guys have been sticking this out with us, and we're so appreciative of it, whether you're watching it uh, from your couch right now or on your Peloton bike, or most likely you're out golfing right now. If you're a dad or watching golf on TV uh, or doing whatever and watching this on replay a little bit later, However it is that you're finding this uh, and listening to this and being a part of this, we're so glad that you are. Um, Some of you might be logging in for the very first time asking uh, or finding out an answer to the question, what is it with church people? And if that's the case, and if that's you, um, just to give you a heads up, we're trying to be the best option for people who aren't typically into church, especially in the Tri-Cities area. And if that's you, we are hoping that we are an interesting part of your conversation about church people moving forward, if nothing else. We are on part three uh, of a series we're calling Pirate Radio. It's a series on pirates, not necessarily like the war-waging swashbucklers with the rum addiction, uh, but more like the pirates that showed up offshore in the 1960s over in the UK off of the mainland broadcasting illegal radio waves onto the mainland playing music that was not allowed to be played during the daytime uh, or uh, almost any time to them. Uh, Things like uh, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Beach Boys, real illicit stuff at the time. Uh, When entry into the... We said this, when entry into an economic system or a, a, a radio broadcast uh, market or sometimes in our case, a religious system uh, feels blockaded when it feels like there's no entry possible, when it feels like there's something going on, but we can't be a part of it, we're not allowed to, and there's really nothing we can do. Our hands are tied a, a little bit. Pirates begin to show up in certain uh, ways. Um, it shows up not just in, in UK radio, it shows up over and over again, and we're not like past it now that we've got, you know, we're so advanced as a country um, a few years ago, I think that these, um, there was there was uh, an industry disruptor uh, called Uber and Lyft, and this like ride sharing capabilities where they said, listen, it is really difficult to uh, get a, 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 t- a license to be a taxi and or it just feels cost prohibitive. Like they, they have like this monopoly on what they can charge. So why don't we uh, institute this new way of doing things? And all of a sudden you have these two apps on your phone. And when was the last time you rode in a taxi? Right? I mean, even the Tri-Cities, when was the last time you rode an Uber? But uh, for the most part, when you travel, you're like, I I'm going to get an Uber. I'm going to get a Lyft. That was like this pirate sort of mentality. This system feels like it's taking advantage of something. There's a better way to do it. Let's kind of come up with a better way to sort of do it. And Jesus, what we've said, because this is a church, so I'm not talking about industry disruptors. There's going to be a religious spiritual angle to it, especially as it relates to the church. And what we've said in this series is that Jesus was kind of a pirate of his own day. The words that he used, the actions that he used, the things that he instituted, the people that he hung around with, the way that he pushed against the walls of the the religious system of his day was very pirate-like in that sort of time. Um, As an example of it, um, in like the initiation piece of, of Luke's gospel writings about the person, the teaching of Jesus. Luke, one of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books in the New Testament. In his portion of it, he puts this uh, this story that we're going to be looking at right at the very beginning of his initiation into public ministry, setting the tone for everything about it. So he's going to do this pirate act um, and then that's going to be kind of the lens by which we get to look at Luke's version of what Jesus' ministry meant to the common person and to the everyday person, the person who was oftentimes excluded from sort of any religious activity because they just weren't good enough, they weren't smart enough, they weren't moral enough or whatever way. Uh, we said last week that he had this like pirate language towards the Pharisees, the religious leaders uh, of the day. He looks at them and, and creates this list of woes um, in, in Matthew chapter 28, and, and he says, woe to you you block the way of entry for those who are seeking inclusion into like the religious system woe to you you've made it difficult uh, for people who are looking to come to church come to God come back into a relationship with their heavenly father or their creator and then he takes it even one step further not only do you block it you yourself don't even do it yourself like you're setting up all these rules and these systems that you're not even interested in doing in your own way and it's interesting to think about what the church, capital C, has survived. Not Eastlake in particular, but the capital C church. Um, you look at the, uh, the the persecution of the empire early on in its phases, and then its uh, addition into the empire to then become kind of part and parcel with the church and the state. And so then, then you got in this like internal combustion piece where it's almost like there's some self-sabotage going on uh, within the church of, of saying, now that we have power and control, what do we got to do to kind of retain it? Because there is that thing in every group setting that happens once we once we get in Once we're into something, a club, uh, a a, a circle of friends, a circle of influence, once we're into something, we want to make it harder for other people to get in because it does something about our ego. It strokes our own ego. It makes us feel more self important than we really are. And this happens in life. This just happened, like you know, this if you've ever um, transferred jobs, gone into a new industry and figured out the clicks, or you showed up to a new workplace and you realize there are people who make the decisions and there's like they may have titles to them, or they may not have titles to them. But there is a circle of influence, and once they're inside that circle, they make it really hard for anybody to get in there. And then once you're in, once they start using this "we" language, like we should do this, I think this is what would be what would be best for our company, or we 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 are the ones who can uh, who know the most information about this. It feels real good to be included in we, and so you do everything within your power to kind of exclude other people. That's what's taking place in this scenario here, and it shows up in the church as well. It shows up in the church uh, throughout history as well. Even when the church went quote-unquote mainstream, there have always been a group of people who have tried to keep it available for the messes. And I know that's a play on word for masses. We've done that kind of in our our thing, because we just really feel like um, that the message of Christianity, that the point of what we're doing as a church um, should be available, not just for the masses, but also for, especially for the messes the people who don't have it all together or, or whatever. We feel like we've been in that sort of position as a church for a, a while now, um, kind of as a pirate mentality towards the messes, not contrarian for the sake of being contrarian, not deconstruction without reconstruction. That's a fool's game, right? To deconstruct something, not have something in place to reconstruct it in a better way, that's just a fool's game. You're just destroying things. But when a group of people feel like they can't see themselves in a church setting, when people feel like they can't see themselves in a spiritual journey with a heavenly father who cares for them. If we ever go through a scenario where there are people within our community who we believe are created in the image of God, who look at the way that the church operates and can't ever see themselves fitting in there, and I'm not talking about like the style of clothes, just as an except, you know, it's it's different, or the the way that they play their music's different, or whatever. I'm talking about like like lifestyle stuff. Like when people sit, when people look at what the church is supposed to be, and go, even if I wanted to be religious, I couldn't see myself there. Um, and, I, and I'm willing to kind of look past, I don't know, the cool factor or whatever. I, but there's, there's things I just, I just don't see with the, the, the life history that I have, the experience that I have, the way that it shaped me, and the way that I think about life, and the outlook that I have, and the way that I vote, and the, way that I, uh, whatever, and the way that I talk, or whatever. If I can't see myself there, then that feels like a closed systems. And then as pirates, we have a little bit of work to do. And so that's what we've kind of said is an important piece for us as a church. We feel like that's a great spot to invest some energy. Now, Uh, So that's why we've said the church should operate sort of like a pirate radio to a noisy world, Uh, beaming this illegal broadcast of there is a way to Jesus that may not look like the systems that you're sort of used to. And I think that Jesus is uh, accessible for you. Uh, I think that religion is accessible for you. I want you to be able to see yourself uh, there. And I I want you to see Jesus um, in a way that I think the people of his day saw him. None of the people who wrote the New Testament were like prolific authors. None of them were famous. None of them were rich. None of them were considered the most well-educated. They were the bums and the messes that were existing in that time, and they felt some sort of access to Jesus uh, that I think hasn't necessarily translated very well into the church, and so um, we've got to figure that out. We've got to we've got to be better at that. And and so we've said, all right, we're going to focus a, a little bit on uh, some of the experiences that took place, his woes to the Pharisees, um, uh, th- some of the other pieces, and then and then um, also uh, address sort of kind of like this th- some of the activities involved in, in in this. And I can't imagine doing a series like this and not highlighting one more one of the more um, oh, wow, he's gone too far this time uh, scenarios, right? Because there's always these like, oh, they've, they've gone too far. They've done. It, it, it's cool that you can be like, hey, we're going to post on the walls. We're about the church, you know, or we're about, excuse me, uh, we're about like the, the people of the world, and, and we want to reach the world and want to do something. Every church has that on the walls. Um, but then you try and do things that are actually like, inviting people in and making it a safe place for them. And then people go, they've gone too far. And that was, that's definitely been true in our 10 year history as a church. And that's been true for Jesus ministry as well. There were things where he would do something, say something, act something out or whatever. And then the, the religious community would say, oh, he's gone too far this time. Uh, that's, that's too far. That's, that's out of bounds for them. And, and some of them were internal. Like this one time he, he gathers a bunch of people together and he begins to talk to them uh, about, and he's always, you know, as long as he was healing people and providing things for people and, and feeding them, um, obviously super popular. His, his crowds sizes are going to grow. And then one day when the crowd size is really big, he says, um, this is going to be a really difficult teaching for you, but uh, you're, you're not going to understand this right away. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm literally like a I'm, I'm the son of God sent to you and, and there's going to be a sacrifice made. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, which is going to be a, like a, a forelook at some sort of communion piece or, a, and it was really symbolic in terms of, unless you take everything about me, take, unless you take the core pieces about me and, and, and take it in and ingest it. And it becomes a part of you. And, and he's, he's using symbolism here, but for them, it sounded like cannibalism, right? And so many of them are like, this sounds really hard. I don't know if I want to sign up for that. I'm here because you were feeding people, man. Where's, where's that at? Like, and, and a big crowd of people left. That would be an example of he's kind of gone too far this time. Like this, this language or this association with Yahweh, the, the Jewish, you know, God. This idea of he's kind of taken that even too far. He's gone too far this time. And so people left as a result of this. There's another story uh, about what it looks like to love your neighbor. And he picks the most obscure hero ever. A Samaritan who he calls good. think about the person that you hate the most in politics, no matter what he or she tweets or says or whatever you're like, there's just an immediate revulsion. And imagine God or Jesus in the form of this, calling that person good, right? You'd be like, but yeah. Okay, yeah, well, let me tell you what you don't know about whatever, right? Like there's this immediate revulsion in this way. Um, and, and on both sides of the political aisle, and, and yet here's Jesus, and people would say to him for sure in that scenario, you've made the Samaritan out to be the hero. Do you not know the Samaritans? And I'm not going to go in the backstory of their revulsion and why they didn't like them, but in, in that scenario, there, for sure there were people who go, he's gone too far this time. Um, I'm okay with an anti-hero I'm okay with, um, you know, sometimes uh, in that society, maybe a woman or, or maybe somebody who had, ca- you know, got caught in some sort of a sin or, or some sort of, sort of this. Uh, some of the, the, the fringe kind of people who weren't typically included as heroes. I'm fine with some of that, but like in this scenario, uh, too far, too far this time. Um, here's the story for today. All, all three of the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they basically look the same. John is another gospel, but he, he kind of takes a little bit more um, creative liberties in his writing in that way. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke look very, very similar. If you've read them back to back to back, you can feel like you're reading something on repeat. Almost, um, there are minor nuances, but for the most part, the same, they record a particular event, uh, which is important. Some of the things that we know about Jesus only come to, uh, or most of the things, um, because of these three men who decided that we're going to write down what we knew about what we experienced, whether we were firsthand witnesses, eyewitnesses of it, or we researched it and talked to people who were eyewitnesses of it. Um, and a lot of the things that we get about it would be the context of it would be, had they not talked to Peter or one of the disciples, we would not have known what he said when he decided to pull his disciples out of the crowd and be like, do you understand what I just taught to these disciples? Or, to, or this mass teaching that I just did, let me explain it for you. Like we wouldn't know that, that wasn't a public thing, that was a very uh, private thing. Uh, but then there are some things that are recorded that are like, Everybody knew about these things. Everybody, this was a public event. Um, There would be, uh, like... It would be in the public common knowledge awareness. If you knew anything about Jesus, you probably knew that, A, he like fed 5,000 people, right? Um, he he uh, went to the synagogue and like did the whole thing. At last, last week we talked about in Luke where he read the scroll of Isaiah and then make, they made this proclamation about it being him and, and his, you know, the fulfillment of it. There would be a few things that show up in that way. That is what we're talking about. There's, there's a public event that took place. That I think everybody in that time would have probably heard about even if they didn't really know about or the intricacies of Jesus they would this would be one of the common memories of it and there's a chance that he is does this thing twice um, because in John 2 he shows up and cleanses the temple again and there's some different things about the way that John talks about it. It makes it seem like maybe he did this twice. I kind of think that this was just one thing, and John just took some liberties in how he decided to remember it. We'll get to those things in, in, in a minute, but here's how Mark writes about this particular memory of Jesus, quote-unquote, going too far, going rogue, going the way of a pirate. Mark chapter 11, verse 15 through 18, on reaching Jerusalem, uh, Jesus entered the temple courts. This is his entry into the final kind of week leading up to his uh, arrest and eventual crucifixion, whatever. He entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Immediately drawing a contrast to, wait, I thought you said he's going to the temple. Why are people buying and selling there? Yes, exactly. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, very specifically doves, we'll get to that in a second, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through temple courts. Merchandise through temple courts. Those two things feel like they don't belong. In fact, if you've come to Eastlake for any length of time, you know that one of our policies, or if you've ever met with us or whatever, is not to sell anything in our lobby for any reason. We don't have a bookstore. We give out free books. People have oftentimes done, hey, can we do a bake sale? We'll, all the money that we raise, will go to uh, you know, some sort of great mission fund. And we're like, dude, that sounds so good. I totally understand why that's important to you. But the idea of a church and the exchange of money for merchandise, whether it's church swag, a shirt with our logo on it, or a hat, or whatever, we have some of those things and we give them away because I don't like the perception of merchandise in a church. And one of the reasons is because the stark contrast that you see here. He it would not allow anybody to carry merchandise to the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He's pulling a quote from one of the prophets, Isaiah or Jeremiah, but you have made it a den of robbers, contrasting two different sort of things. Money changers, and dove salesmen. I want to talk about money changers and dove salesmen for a minute, because what in the world are they doing inside of the temple courts? Let me illustrate in this way. If you have ever paid $14 for a tuna fish sandwich just on the other side of airport security checkpoints, you know a little bit about what this sort of thing feels like. And I wrote this next part in sort of a dialogue. Imagine like two people arguing back and forth. One being a passenger trying to buy food, and the other one being sort of a an airport security person or whatever. Uh, So play with me a little little bit on on this thing. But why can't I bring my own tuna fish sandwich in? Well, because you might be smuggling in a bomb. But it's tuna fish. Yeah, so says you, right? Um, But don't worry. Here's a tuna fish sandwich that we know isn't a bomb. We know it's not a bomb. Yeah, but it's 14 bucks and it tastes like cardboard. Well, to be fair, doesn't all tuna fish sort of taste like cardboard? Yeah, well, fair point, but it's still $14 and that feels a little bit steep. Well, you're not paying for the taste quality of the tuna, (laughs) if there is any. You're paying for the right to eat it because based on the security rules that we set up, this is what is currently allowed? And then the response would be, yeah, but but don't you as sort of an airport get kind of a cut from this $14 sandwich that I'm paying like three times the price for? Don't you benefit in some way? Isn't there something set up? Like there's this sliding scale with the food sales of your vendors. Are you not an impartial third party? Don't you selfishly benefit in some way? well, yeah, but do you want the sandwich or not, buddy? That's your choice, right? That sort of thing, if you played along with me for this length of time, is the sort of similar scenario happening here. The sacrificial system set up in Israel at the time required properly sanctified or set apart animals, right? So they grew up, they they read the Torah, they read Leviticus. They said, when you do things either individually or corporately as a nation, there's going to be a sacrifice to be made. Blood must be shed to kind of wipe away this. You made an error. You made a sin. Therefore, based on the level of sin, it's either grain or an animal, or if it's a community of people, a large animal. And there's going to be a feast as a result of this to uh, for both the priests of that time who, who facilitated the sacrificial system, but then also as a community. So we're, everybody's going to sacrifice X amount of goats. And then we all have a feast together, and we celebrate the fact that God loves us and, and all of us, whatever, Right this sacrificial system uh, had, again, parameters for what qualified as properly sanctified or set apart animals. And their response would be, it's incredibly difficult for you to know for sure, or for us to trust you for sure that this has been properly done, that this is a pure animal, that this is really, truly the best of its breed, the, or the best of its litter, or the best of this, or or hasn't been in the hands of this, or you didn't get, you didn't purchase this from a Gentile, or uh, it isn't sick. Like, there's just a, a lot of things, and for your sake, and for our sake, if we allow some of this stuff to continue, it could reflect poorly on us, and bad things could happen as a nation, and it's because we didn't properly care for the, the systematic uh, offering way that things are set up. Better, better option is to just buy one of our pre-approved doves that's already been uh, for sure stamped with the the authority and approval. You're, you're, You're set up in this way. Yeah, but they're four times the price. Yeah, but you're not paying for the actual cost to raise the animal. You're paying for the right to sacrifice it based on the security rules that we set up. Does that make sense? well, it makes sense that you're making a lot of money off of me. Absolutely. Additionally, not only that, but in this time to buy from these sellers, you would need to use a certain form of currency that really wasn't popular outside of Jerusalem in that time. Um, you, you, if you traveled, if you made the pilgrimage to the city to make these annual things as a family, you go and, and you're going to do this, and then you showed up, your money isn't good here. You need to exchange that money for the right type of coin to be able to make this thing work. Now, lucky for you, old Charlie over here has got a bag full of them, and he's willing to exchange some of your money that is used everywhere else for his money, which is only available to be used here. Now, there's going to be a nominal fee involved. Let me guess. It's going to cost me to do this. Well, of course. And let me guess, you also get a cut from Charlie (laughs) based on me exchanging my money for this. You'll have to talk to Charlie about that. That's between him and I, and we don't really talk about that kind of stuff. This kind of messy, broken, take advantage of the people system is what's going on, which is why Jesus has this like, mental this anger issue with this system that is currently set up in this way like every developed market People had figured out a way to monetize a situation and they attached religious implications on it to boot. Listen, we're not surprised when uh, developed markets have ways for people find ways to get rich in them and they create loopholes and monopolies and all kinds of stuff. That's like, that's just part of capitalism. That's part of life. That's part of whatever. And it shows up not even capitalism. It shows up everywhere. We, we get it. But then when you attach like this religious stamp to it, um, it makes it even that much worse the types of animals you were required to sacrifice was determined by a sliding scale of your annual income. So if you made a certain amount of money, if your family came from a certain level of wealth, you would have to sacrifice a goat or a lamb or something big. If you were buying a dove, what does that say about the type of people who are being taken advantage of in this scenario? Listen, I think he, he, he points out, or Mark makes a specific mention of these people are buying, they're buying doves, they're having to buy these special doves. Why not say goats or lambs? Because he's trying to say, who buys doves? The destitute, the poor, the people who, who, don't, have a, who don't come from a lot of money. This system is attacking them, the poor and the destitute, those with little options for recourse, those who probably just felt like the system of justice was closed to them and better to just pay the fee and get it over with. And one day, in comes pirate Jesus to ruffle up some feathers, to address the problems, to open the markets, to uh, change things up, to be a disruptor in this way. And I mentioned that John's version had a little bit of a different take on it, uh, a little bit details that mark luke and matthew don't show up in john's version jesus shows up with a whip in his hands (laughs) like imagine showing up to east like with a whip in a hand one sunday right like please don't like if you have an issue like let's i'll buy you coffee let's talk it over right don't show up with a whip but if you did um it feels like that would be something that people wouldn't forget You know what I mean? Like, um, that would be the, the week that nobody, like everybody forgot what I talked about that day, but you remember the day that Andrew showed up with a whip in hand? That was crazy, right? We just remember those types of things. Would anybody ever forget it? And partly for fun, but partly because of this series, um, I've been reading books uh, about the lives of actual real life pirates in the 17th century and early 18th century who, uh, Plundered and made a bunch of money uh, in the uh, off of the East Coast and down all the way into the Caribbean. And as a result, I've been listening to a lot of Pirates of the Caribbean radio. And uh, we got some guava nectar from Costco yesterday. And it's fantastic. It just feels like this is the time. This is. It's been great. And when you look at the life of these actual pirates who for about a 30 year period like had disrupted an industry and then changed the way it kind of went they they went into this way of life because the current system um, was setting them up for failure. Most of them would be uh, scripted into conscripted, conscripted into the Royal Navy. They would be plundering the boats of the Spanish and the French, and then they would take all of the money. And, and they'd be taking on all of the risk and none of the benefits. And eventually, they go, "This is stupid." Like our and you treat us poorly, and and this is. Um, and, and most of us are dying early, and there's no recourse for our families. And so, you know what? We'd be better off going on the account, going against this whole thing, and just making it our own, uh, our own way. Um, most were former merchant and naval sailors who thought themselves engaged in a social revolt against ship owners and captains who made their lives miserable. They often referred to themselves as Robin Hood's men. In a book that I read recently on it, there's a quote from one of the captains. This would be like the, the thing that he'd stand up and, and, um, and talk to his first mates about and, and, and remind them and, and try and talk as they would overcome these boats they would give these people an option, right? You can either be stranded on this island after we've taken over your boat, or you can join our pirate crew. And the numbers of people who would join the pirate crew because they felt the exact same way would be huge. And his, one of his selling points, one of his speeches to kind of like uh, talk, through this, talk this through was this, they vilify us, the scoundrels do, when there is only this difference. They rob the poor under the cover of law, and we plunder the rich under the cover of our own courage. One of the more famous uh, pirates was a guy named Edward Thatch, better known to all of us as Blackbeard. This is a picture, a drawing of what they thought Blackbeard looked like. Because of limited resources, a pirate's goal was to intimidate, to to coerce by intimidation other merchant ships into submission. They would attack them. They would come at them on a surprise. They would oftentimes the boat would be bigger, but the way that they would maneuver so quickly and, and kind of swarm them in some way uh, would be kind of uh, this this picture of uh, like a sense of hopelessness. And the quicker the better in this way. They're Actual resources were limited, as it was in that time. The guns, the ammo, the, the, you know, the gunpowder, the cannonballs, the everything. So the goal was, if we can intimidate them without ever having fired a shot that's better for us in the long run because if we get into too many battles we're not going to be able to do all the things that we want to do and so their goal again was intimidation which is why they would raise a black flag with a death's head on it they would stand on the deck they would crowd the deck with big giant shirtless men with cutlasses in their uh, over their heads waving these things and blackbeard himself um, would, and his nickname's no accent. he was into beards before it was cool to be into beards. In an effort to intimidate, he would light, as you can see, these little flares. He would tie them into his beard and light off and, and smoke bombs, smoke bombs and flares in his giant beard. And he would stand on the bow of the deck and looking at the ship a captain. And imagine in that time, in like 1712 or whatever, um, not having seen like, you know, growing up with computer-generated villains on TV and movies. Imagine seeing somebody who's got... Like smoke and fire and mirrors looking at you saying, pull over, pull over, pull over. Like the intimidation factor. This is, the, this is him in this scenario using intimidation. And the story goes, he actually never wanted to hurt anybody. Like in his own memoirs and in his own diaries, he's like, I didn't want to hurt them. I didn't want to kill them. That would be my absolutely last resort. My goal was to simply intimidate them into submission in this way. Sort of like a guerrilla theater type thing, which is exactly the story that I think that Jesus had in, move, in going into the temple courts in Mark chapter 11 with a whip in his hands. Do I really think that Jesus woke up that day going, I'm really going to get into somebody right here. I can't wait to, you know, lash into these guys' backs. I don't think so. I think he cracked the whip and goes, I don't want to hurt you. He wouldn't say that, but I'm, I'm, I'm disrupting a system so that you see, and I'm using this guerrilla theater, kind of send a message. This is vitally important to me. You keep setting up economic monopolies and it's hurting the poorest of us. And it's not, gonna, it's not gonna be allowed any longer. I, I, I refuse to sit by and watch as it happened. Your systems for suppressing the poor and taking advantage of those who don't have the ability to do anything about it stops here. There's no room for that in my kingdom and that is not how it will look moving forward. And look who is frustrated with it all. Verse 18 to Matthew and we close with this verse. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him. Why did they fear him? Because he had a whip in his hand? Because he came in screaming and yelling and flipping over tables? Were they intimidated by him? Did they really feel like one man could take on the empire of how the temple system worked, this economic thing that benefited the rich and the powerful? They feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Because it feels like, he opened the door and showed a new way in. That he disrupted an industry. That he made it accessible for the average common person. That he's saying, you too don't have to be excluded from this. What they're doing is wrong. There is a better way. Those with skin in the game feared him. They wanted him dead, but the crowds were amazed. So, how do we take this into our own account? What do we do with this, with Pirate Jesus, with Blackbeard's intimidation factors, with with all of this? If we as a local expression of the church, a community of people trying to live in the way of Jesus, aren't addressing economic systems that capitalize on the poor, that take advantage of them through insane debt repayment percentages, payday advance loans, mortgage institutions that base their lending rates on demographics or geolocation and not credit history, if we don't do all of these things, if we don't take an evaluation of what we are doing, what we are allowing in our community, what we will and will not stand for in this, we're missing out on the radical call to inclusion and loving people well through financial opportunity, not just financial opportunity, religious opportunity, spiritual opportunity. If the church operates simply as an economic entity, if we choose as this is this is an internal thing this is what um i'll just you know this is what we as a board and and me as a, as the ceo of this church have to think through if we ever make decisions based on not what is right but what is safe to keep those who give generously happy and not what we think is the right move to make. I can't imagine Jesus wouldn't want to show up with a whip in hand or smoke bombs in his beard one Sunday and say, enough is enough. Knock it off. This isn't how it should be. So a couple of takeaways for us. May we instead continue to add all of the rungs on the ladder for personal flourishing and spiritual inclusion into the community of believers. May we leverage a little bit of the pirate spirit for the benefit of the messes. And may we broadcast a voice of hope and help to a mainland that is so full of noise. May we live into this idea of being a pirate radio that communicates the truth, the openness, the inclusiveness of Jesus's message, both economically, both uh, demographically, and, and for sure spiritually. That's our angle that we have to get right in this way, as especially as a corporate body as a church. And then we have to figure out what that looks like individually for us as people trying to be good humans as well. So that is our call. That is what pirate radio for me is all about. Now that's going to conclude today's talk. Um, Inside, a couple of details to kind of work through for, for us as we finish this thing off. Below the screen right now, if you're watching this online, is a connect card portion. A little fill-in-the-blank thing. Uh, letting us know that you're watching this and who you're watching this with. Uh, there's a spot on there for prayer requests or just life updates as well. If you want to give us some updates. We just have, we haven't seen you, in 15, many of you, in 15 weeks. So um, your kids are like, you know, walking now. Uh, they're driving. They're going off to college. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, all of these things are massive transitions and, uh, uh, we, we, uh, we want to hear from you. So let us know that you're here and doing that. If you're a first time guest, again, watching this, trying to figure out what is it with church people? Um, we're, uh, would you let us know as well? There's a box on there. This is first time guest. If you let us know that you're here, uh, we do a thing where we donate money to a different organization, doing good things locally and globally. And for the month of June, we're donating money to my friend's place, a local homeless teen shelter over in Kennewick, providing a safe spot for kids while things get figured out at, Home, uh, and then uh, that's basically it. Let me let me read a benediction for you, and uh, let me update you on the schedule thing. So next week uh, we are going to have a special guest speaker named Jordan Cheney here. Um, he's going to be uh, doing a, just an awesome presentation on um, like this racial reconciliation and what the church's role can play in it. We're going to have some Q and A with Anna Plemons hosted after that. So watch and then also be active on the chat. We'll get more information to you about that this week. Um, and then the following week is June. Uh, sorry, July. July. July 5th, which is the day after July 4th, our anticipation is that you're going to be out late lighting off fireworks and scaring your neighbor's dogs. Um, And so as a result, we will not be doing online service on July 5th. We're taking that weekend off, and then we'll start with a brand new series on July 12th. So... Um, that's the schedule for the next couple of weeks just to give you a heads up. Thank you so much for taking time, either Sunday, cutting out time on your Sunday or just listening this week. Uh, we really do uh, miss you, love you, appreciate you, all of those things. Uh, thank you to those of you who continue to give online to support this ministry, even though there's like not like we're not feeding your kids goldfish. I always say like, we need money to keep the lights on and do the goldfish. And right now, I mean, the lights are on, but uh, we, we, we couldn't do this without um, all of the people who are making this happen uh, on a regular basis. So we, we truly do uh, appreciate you and uh, thanks for, for believing in what we're doing enough to be able to fund it, even though life looks crazy. All right, let me read this benediction for you and get you on your way. Lord, you spoke all things in being and call us each to speak your truth in our corner of the world. Save us from ourselves and grant us holy confidence to speak aloud as we have been spoken to.